0: Hey, I'm Emily Chenevere, CEO of the Austin Board of Realtors. Real estate is changing. Disruptors are flipping the script before most of us have even had our morning coffee. So we're taking it to the experts to peel back the layers on what you need to know. Scratch what you think you know about this business and listen up for a new version of an old industry. I recently had a chat with the CEO of Redfin about race and real estate. You're probably wondering why that's what we talked about when Redfin is making headlines in all kinds of other ways these days. Glenn Kelman has a passion for people and when he was hanging out in a yurt somewhere in a remote part of the world, he read a recent study about racism and real estate and it put a bee in his bonnet. University of New Mexico professor Elizabeth Corver Glenn spent a year following 10 real estate agents in Houston, Texas. Corver Glenn attended open houses and home showings, observing interactions between real estate agents and customers of different races and backgrounds. She conducted in-depth interviews with agents, lenders, other service providers and customers, and published her findings in a study called Brokering Ties and Inequality, How White Real Estate Agents Recreate Advantage and Exclusion in Urban Housing Markets. Glenn says that study shook him and he felt compelled to do something about it. He held a symposium on the topic last fall, and he's not dropping the issue. Here's what he has to say on the topic. What started your thinking more seriously about this intersect between race and real estate? I understand that you read a study in a yurt somewhere, and that got your mind thinking.
1: (laughs) It's true. So I was visiting my twin brother over the summer solstice. We were in Alaska with our kids. And we stayed in this yurt on Eagle River. A bear had just devoured someone in the neighborhood. So <laughs> why,
0: why not visit, right? <laughs> yeah.
1: And I couldn't sleep because it was so bright outside. And I ended up just reading um, some articles that I downloaded to my phone, including this one by Elizabeth Corver Glenn about race and real estate where she'd followed. Ten real estate agents for a year in Houston, Texas, which is one of the most integrated cities in America, turns out that even there, there are differences in how Black people and White people are served. And at first, I felt so smug because I thought, "Oh, it's other brokerages that have let those people down." But then I realized that it could have been a Redfin agent. She wasn't clear on who she'd worked with. She anonymized the agents, and I wondered if uh, I was living up to my own responsibility because. You go to college, and I went to Berkeley in particular, which is sort of a hippie, liberal, crunchy, granola kind of place. And I really thought that I was going to fight the power, that I wasn't going to become the man. And now I am the man, and I just have to live up to that responsibility and make sure that everybody who's looking for a home can find one regardless of whether they're black or white, gay or straight, military or not.
0: I hear your passion and I love it. And I understand the human aspect, but make the business case for me that you guys have made this commitment, not just because it's the right thing to do, which I agree with, but I also believe, and I think you do, that if we're not serving all demographics right, if not everybody is getting equitable access to housing, what does that mean for our industry and for our marketplaces?
1: Well, yes. Yes. I mean, half of America is white, but that means the other half isn't. And if you decide that you're going to build a business that's only focused on half your target market, well, you're making a huge mistake. And I think it's more than just the commercial opportunity directly in front of us and more than just the demographics of this country and how they may or may not be changing. I think it's also that every business has at least some moral force. You wanna make money, but you also stand for something, and that's why employees work so hard. So for us to say that we wanna make real estate better, but only for rich white people, that doesn't feel right. And I think tech in particular, because remember, Redfin is half tech, half real estate, Tech in particular has a history of making technology that benefits elites, but doesn't really reach the rest of American society. It's hard to go home at night and feel like, oh, well, we redefine real estate for upper middle class, half Jewish white people who look like me. We had a particular issue with our engineers because some of the people who built our website are upper middle class, white affluent folks, but some aren't. We had a Latina woman who decided that Redfin wasn't the right place for her because we weren't serving all of the people we could. That's just a a fact of life because not everyone can afford a home and Mm -hmm. we're not in the rentals business and everything else. But it was a disappointment to me. I felt that she really made a case that we should broaden our mandate. And one of the ways we can do that is just by making sure we represent everybody as a brokerage.
0: So you talked a little bit about the half tech, half brokerage. And the tech side of you is one of the things that I'm most interested in because I do think that so many emerging business models on brokerage, especially right now, are tech forward. That tech is not accessible to everybody, both just in terms of the statistics around households that have access to high broadband internet, what we know about user experience and how it caters to those who are affluent and versus those who are not. You guys just launched a, a new buyer side program that this Essentially, a full tech experience. How does that intersect with what you're trying to do with these other goals and initiatives?
1: That's a really good question. I think that technology in some ways has really helped people of color with real estate. And in other ways, it hasn't. Uh, the way that it's helped, first of all, is that if you're a black real estate agent, it's really hard to meet white clients. But I think it's easier If you're a black real estate agent on the internet, because it's not that people are explicitly racist all the time. I think sometimes you just hire whom, you know, having reviews, having sales history, having performance metrics on the site has really let some of our black real estate agents thrive. White customers, it turns out, are willing to hire them when they can see just how well they perform. Uh, So we have an unusually high proportion of people of color as real estate agents at Redfin, if you compare that to the industry averages. And then those folks are well represented in our president's club, which is for the most productive agents at Redfin. And I think the internet has given them a chance to perform. It's given them that level playing field to show consumers what they've got. But the backside of that is for people of color, uh, the challenge is that you build an iPhone application And really, an iPhone is mostly for rich folks, mostly for white folks. It's disproportionately used by by rich white people. And I want to be careful here. You know, there are plenty of rich people of color and there are plenty of poor white folks. But sometimes you just see a high incidence of people using an iPhone who are both rich and white. So you obviously want to bring your technology to every platform. And you have to acknowledge that some people are going to call you. They're not going to browse the web. They're not going to use every feature that you offer. And I've definitely heard people who work at Redfin say, oh my gosh, we just got a call from somebody who doesn't even know how to use a web browser. And I feel like you serve that person. It's not just a commercial opportunity, but it's our holy duty to come to your question directly about Redfin Direct. You know, how do we feel about an unrepresented buyer making an offer on a home Through the web.
0: And how do you feel about it specifically in the context of who do you think that serves in this context?
1: Well, I want to be clear about who it serves. It serves the person who hired us, which is the owner of the house. I've never pretended that an unrepresented offer is necessarily in the best interest of the buyer. It may be, it may not be, but it's up to the buyer to decide that. We represent the seller. And in this case, Our job is to sell that dang house. Now, if we think that we're breaking the law to sell that house, or we're making false representations to sell that house, or we're preying upon people who have no business buying the house, well, then we have a higher calling. I'm not saying that we do anything to sell the house, but when we feel like we've surfaced all the information about a property and surfaced all the information about what it takes to win an offer in a particular area, and somebody says, well, I want to make an offer, I think every brokerage is obligated to take the offer. Most of the brokerages I know are happy to take an offer from a buyer who doesn't have his own representation. Redfin has never allowed dual agency with one agent, but we have said that for that buyer, we're going to surface data and tools to give him information that that he didn't have before. I think that's a good thing. I definitely think it's a good thing for the seller. You know, that's the person who hired us.
0: That's fair. Let me ask you this. As much as uh, tech has had its history, what opportunity do you see with the disruption in our industry and the emergence of more tech-forward brokerages to serve customers in ways that they haven't been in, and specifically customers of color? What's good that's going to come out of it? So you talked about the way that you position your agents, and that's working, but what's emerging? What's next?
1: Well, what's next, I think, is a threat to the MLS. And that's what I worry about the most.
0: You and me both, brother. (laughs) (laughs) But
1: if you were to talk to Elizabeth Corver Glenn, her first question would be about pocket listings. She really worries when part of the market can see that a home is for sale and the whole market can't. That is her number one concern, having studied the issue for years. And the best way to fight pocket listings is with an MLS. An MLS that has a very strict coming soon policy or doesn't allow it at all and an MLS that shows all the homes for sale from all the brokerages to every consumer. And I think we have to acknowledge that people are either gonna access the properties through the internet or through a real estate agent. And not everyone has equal access to either, by the way. There are folks who have just grown up without a home buying history where no one in their families ever owned a home. They may not know a real estate agent. They may not have internet access. Uh, but those are the two primary channels for seeing all the homes for sale and what i worry about as zillow redfin open door compass and all these really well funded technology companies compete to get home buyers onto their websites that we will start to see the inventory fragment you know it's hard enough if there's one place to go to but if there's five or six different places to go to to see different types of homes for sale then i think it really becomes a less transparent market, a market that's less open to people of color, that's less open to people who don't have you know every tool at their disposal. So I just want to see the MLS prosper in part because I think that's the best way to create an open marketplace and a fair level, uh, a fair playing field. Excuse me.
0: No, that's great. I mean, you have long time touted the value of the MLS. I think it's definitely been a part of how you've mended or, or, or began building those bridges back to the industry, even as, as an emerging brokerage that sometimes scared people. But hey,
1: You won't even say that I mended. You said that I've begun to build.
0: You like two steps forward, one step back when you when you push the envelope a little. But I think that that's okay, Glenn. I mean, I think that that's healthy for our industry too. And I know as a CEO of an MLS that I value hearing you say on big stages, like I did it at the T3 Summit, that the MLS really matters and that one of the things that keeps you up at night, is can we continue to maintain cohesiveness in our marketplace? I think you're right. I think you're right about its impact for all consumers, regardless of their background.
1: Well, can I speak from the heart for a moment? Yeah. There was a time when when Redfin didn't treat the industry fairly. We vilified our competitors. I was brash with the press. We had a business model where we didn't do all the work to complete a deal. And I just think our competitors were absolutely right to say, no, you shouldn't do that. But now when we have all these relationships with different brokerages and MLSs in the industry and we introduce Redfin Direct, which isn't just a threat to other brokerages, but obviously affects our own business, I was surprised. I knew the industry would have a reaction, but I was still surprised at how strong it was. And what I concluded from that was that it, matters, not just how you say it, but what you say. And that if you do something that is in the consumer's favor, but that changes the economics for the agent, that that will still be viewed sometimes with horror. And I still think that that's wrong. If you listen to the T3 interview where I was asked, are you now a friend of this industry? I said, yes. Yes. And then when asked what changed, I said, well, what changed is I used to think that we were the only ones advocating for the consumer, but now I know that everybody's trying to do right by their customer. And I still believe that. But I think there's a moment here that the industry is having where we know that something might be right for the home seller who has hired us to market the property, but we haven't connected that and said that even if it's painful, For this industry to change we have to do our fiduciary duty we have to take that offer if somebody wants to make it and that's that's where i feel like i thought the industry would be more welcoming more understanding more excited about that change and i know that it's scary it scares me too but i also think that it's probably part of the future and i'd rather have the brokerage industry not some outsider, but somebody who's been selling houses for 14 years, I'd rather have one of us do it than anyone else.
0: You hit the note when you said it's scary. You should file that under change is hard. And it's especially hard in an industry with as rich and lengthy a history of ours that it's been pretty resistant to change for a really long time. I can say that as a relatively young and new CEO of an association, in MLS, that I understand the fear that they have around what it means for them and what to do next and how to make good business decisions when they feel like the landscape is shifting. You know, my encouragement to the to our members is that fear doesn't lead to very good decision making in business and that you've got to just be with the landscape, move with it. And I think you're right to some degree, at least that change is being led by brokerage and that that's a value in our industry and one that we need other team members to hop on that train and say, we're going to we're going to shake things up a little bit, too. And here's what that looks like for us. So you're getting there. You're getting there. <laughs> um, but but I understand the fear. I understand the fear, too. And I think it's it's okay for them to feel that way. Just don't stop there, right? Um, be, be smarter and, and hustle harder and be creative about what the changes that you're making means for their business in this market.
1: Well, no, no matter how long our history is, our future is even longer.
0: Yeah. That's very positive. That's a very positive way to look at it.
1: (laughs) True. And I just think it's the right mindset that you want to be an agent of change rather than a victim of change. And that means always putting your customer first. If every real estate brokerage just works as hard as we possibly can to put our customers first, then we all have nothing to worry about because no business has ever perished that did that. And I just think the hard part for us is making sure that we balance the human element. First of all, we really believe in service. That's not just some happy horse manure. I came at this as a software person who learned through years of agony that people need help, that it's an emotional process that many folks go through and they have all sorts of questions. And if you don't embrace this humble culture of service with absolute zeal, then you're never going to be a great broker. I've had too many customers tell me that, All the software in the world doesn't make a difference if your real estate agent is crummy. And so I just want everybody to know that there's a heartless version of technology. I don't know if Amazon personifies that for you or some other tech company, but one that doesn't treat its own workers well, one that doesn't care about the social implications of its decisions, one that doesn't treat society itself as one of its stakeholders. And that's not how we imagine ourselves. We do have a moral imperative to treat our customers well, but also to make sure that our own agents do well at this company. And I don't pretend that it's easy to strike that balance, but I wouldn't want anyone to assume that we haven't tried.
0: Mm. So so here's something kind of interesting to me, r- sort of related to that. I'm going to take us a different direction. I operate both the association and the MLS. My background is first as a government affairs director for an association. So I came up in that side, not on the technology side. You're speaking to this, this higher calling and the, and the purpose of the work that your agents do and your ability to serve them as their broker of choice. And I think about the work that the association does, the higher calling of the capital R realtor and their work in our community at large. But I don't see Redfin agents engaged in that generally speaking. I don't see too many of them knocking down my doors to hang out in government affairs activities or doing association side business. And I don't know if that's because the nature of their relationship with you is different and their their time is not as free as that of an independent contractor. Or have you not thought through Redfin's opportunity to achieve that higher calling by being more deeply engaged in the association?
1: I think that's a fair criticism. We finally now are paying our dues. There was a time when We paid in some states, but not in others. And we finally just got over ourselves. And every single agent at Redfin is a dues paying realtor. So we've definitely funded the effort. I have sometimes been curious or skeptical or cautious about lobbying governments. I don't know if I ever told you this, but there was a time when I wanted to lobby the Oregon state legislature to overturn its anti-rebate law. You're not allowed to Uh, take part of the commission and give it back to the consumer in Oregon. So I called all these people, I did all this legwork. And then I realized that the Oregon legislature only met every other year. And then I was in the wrong year. And that's when I thought, oh my gosh, I have no idea what I'm doing here. And so every six months or so I'm asked, well, why don't we try to lobby the government on one issue or another? And I've just always felt lost in the woods where I don't know what will make a difference and what won't. Even on affordable housing, where the company has just been quite outspoken, quite committed to different causes, we donate money, we volunteer. We haven't allowed any of that to go into lobbying because we don't have an apparatus for measuring whether it works. And I know it's it's sort of a, a dark art in some ways that you can't have a guaranteed result. Um, but I hadn't prepared for this question. I think it's a really fair question. And I'm just giving you my honest reaction to it. How do you think we ought to do it?
0: Yeah, so like you said, I don't have the apparatus to measure it, but the truth is you have the mechanism to participate by way of all of those realtor members. And so let me give you an example related to the purpose of our conversation today. In Austin, Texas, our current land development code, so all of the zoning regulation, all of the things that dictate what type of housing and where the houses go, is built around a code that was adopted in 1934. That land use map, was built on the basis of redlining. So inherently, everything that's happening with growth and the way that we've managed the tremendous growth that we've had in Austin, Texas is built around a segregated community that is unfair and built on bias. So we're looking at a complete overhaul of that land use code through the lens of how do we correct Decades of, of that problem. And I think that that's in perfect alignment with the kind of outcome that you want to see as a brokerage. And if you just are, encourage your agents to take the opportunity to engage and be a part of that conversation, I think you'll find that much of what we work on is in alignment with your goals and, the, and those, those guiding principles. I love
1: that. What is the opportunity to engage that could make a difference? Hey, this is when we need you, this is where we need you, this is why your participation would matter, I think is probably something we need to pay more attention to. So maybe you could help me just by walking through that example, one more step.
0: Sure. So, And you should know it's my big, hairy, audacious career goal to to redefine what member engagement looks like. So I think we've been doing it wrong for a long time, which is why lots of members and lots of brokerages have been disconnected from the work of the MLS and the association. But the way that we're trying to redefine that is to create little bitty passive opportunities all the way up to those passionate ones where people want to sit at City Hall all night. So it's everything from literally answering a call for action. Two clicks of a button sends a message to city council members that sit on the dais at the city of Austin, all the way up to offering testimony at the planning commission about the really specific nitty gritty changes being proposed to that land use code. So that when you go, one of your agents goes to advise a customer about whether or not they can build a granny flat at the back of their property for their in-laws or to provide for additional income so that they can become homeowners to begin with, they have more opportunity and leverage to do that.
1: By the way, I love it that you call it a granny flat.
0: That's what we call them in Austin, yeah, or accessory dwelling unit is the technical term, but we call them granny flats here. So I think that the issue of inequity is both related to the consumer experience for clients of color, but I think it's also about accessibility and access to housing. So we talked a little bit about regulatory environment and how it directly correlates to who can buy what houses and where, in still pretty meaningful ways, despite the fact that we say that we're not living in segregated communities. Do you hear from your agents on that front? Do you hear, especially in these tight urban markets right now, about their inability to find the housing that meets their customers' needs?
1: Oh, absolutely. I mean, I think we hear every day about how frustrated consumers are And part of their challenge is that they're now competing against investors. Yeah. Wall Street is buying houses left and right, often renting them out. And some of the reason for that is that home prices and mortgage rates are fairly low relative to rent, but credit is asymmetrical. It's much easier for a business to get credit right now than it is for a consumer. You have to have a fairly high credit rating to get a loan and so i think businesses are buying houses at a competitive advantage and using that as an arbitrage opportunity to gentrify some neighborhoods all of that is sort of an unhappy outcome what we mm-hmm. discuss with our agents is just how to be mindful of unconscious biases so elizabeth corver glenn in her study describes an african-american talking to a real estate agent who says you just need to get pre-approved for a loan good luck, but the agent had assumed the person didn't have a good job, didn't have a good income, when in fact she did. And that frustrated her and she ended up just sort of hanging up the phone in despair. And so I know there's training that the MLS can do, I know there's training that third parties can do, but I think the most important thing is for the CEO of every brokerage to say, you can't judge a book by its cover. You can't make these snap decisions about who's ready to buy a house and who isn't. And especially if that person is a person of color, or especially if that person comes from a family history where no one's ever owned a home before, and it seems like a total pain in the neck to have to walk them through the process, that's where you are in your stripes. And I think what makes it hard in the real estate industry, on one side of this, you have the fact that Someone buying a $2 million house is worth 10 times as much to a real estate agent sometimes as someone buying a $200,000 house. And so in every part of the U.S. economy, people who spend more get better service. And that would be the argument that people make about real estate, except I would say that it really makes a big difference. It's one thing to get a table in the back of the restaurant. It's another thing to get a house that doesn't have access to good schools, that isn't close to good jobs, that isn't safe for your kids. And with the stakes that high, I understand commissions and variable pay. Redfin benefits from it as much as anyone. But you have to treat that person buying a $250,000 home just as seriously as someone buying a $2.5 million home. And I think that discipline it's hard to come by because it's exciting when somebody says, oh, well, actually, I was interested in this mansion.
0: Right, right. Yeah. And I think it's not just do you have to treat them right from a legal perspective, but they, they deserve that opportunity, right? Every consumer deserves the full experience of representation and understanding the transaction. And that dream is a dream for a reason that doesn't come true for everybody. And so we want to try to make that happen in more meaningful ways.
1: And I always tell our agents that the hard deals are where you make your name. Nobody mm. can represent an all cash buyer willing to blow out every other offer by $200,000. But what's hard is taking on the teacher who has lost eight straight bidding wars, working with someone who comes from a family who's never owned a home and doesn't know what an inspection contingency are. That's where you make your name.
0: Yeah, no, I agree. Because anybody can do it if it's easy, right?
1: <laughs> I think the best agents really have to shine on the tough deals. So sometimes when we're like, this person just can't afford this neighborhood, I say, well, and yet that's what they dream to do. Like we still owe them our best.
0: What would you tell your colleagues? What, what do you tell brokers who want to do a better job on this front and want to encourage their agents to serve consumers of color in a more meaningful way? What should they be doing?
1: Well, first of all, I live in a glass house, so I'm not going to cast any stones. The same experience I had in that year where I thought, oh my gosh, maybe the agent who turned away a person of color actually worked for Redfin. I have no way of knowing that, and neither does any other brokerage. Right now, all of us have dozens, hundreds, thousands of agents acting in our name, with our sign, our brand, our shield. And so you just have to be willing to fire people over values-based issues. And you know, we've had agents who make so much money for Redfin who have left because we felt like they didn't take every part of their job seriously, that they didn't take The moral obligations of being a realtor, seriously. And I know it sounds silly and very kind of hyperbolic or vainglorious. You can just be very rhetorical about it. But when you're talking to your agents about how to make more sales or how to serve customers better or a new procedure for closing out a deal, if you could just spend the last five minutes saying, I also want to remind you that we have to be a good real estate agent to everyone whether they're gay or straight, black or white, it makes a difference.
0: Hey team, let's make this a thing. If you like what you heard today, share this episode on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram and tag me at M Chenevere. That's E M Chenevere. You can also subscribe to Scratch That on SoundCloud and iTunes and grab show notes at abor.com slash scratch that. Thanks for joining me today. Now let's go get some stuff done out there.